This is a radio podcast from Centuries of Sound. If you want to hear these a year earlier and help the show survive, please consider supporting Centuries of Sound at Patreon. That's patreon.com slash centuries of sound. For just $5 or local equivalent per month, you can have access to all of my mixes and radio shows. On Cambridge 105 Hello and welcome to Centuries of Sound, the show where we use archive audio to travel back to the early days of recorded sound. My name is James Errington. I run the website centuriesofsound.com where I make mixes for every year of recorded sound. And today I'm joined by... Matek Pavlikovsky. And uh, Matik, what what uh, can you tell us about yourself? You have another show on Cambridge 105. Yes, uh, I am part of... Uh, Polish Waves team and uh, has been running that show for quite a while now Um, and uh, I've been in radio before that as well before I came to UK uh, as well in uh, Radio Jacques in Łódź and uh, uh, I'm generally very open to music and listen to all kind of genres Um, um, I'm uh, also by, by, by education I'm anthropologist so I mm. like a little bit of folk and I like some old music as well. And I'm really fascinated with your show. It sounds amazing. The the archaeology of music, this is how, how it sounds to me. So, um, yeah, thank you for having me tonight. That's a pleasure. I think it's, uh, yeah, th- this kind of early on, I think you, you never will hear music from before, say, 1917. Maybe no. even 1925, I think you will never come across it in your daily life unless you're a collector of these things. I feel like even 1950 maybe next days. And it's really difficult to come across the records. How do you collect them? Uh, well, there's a, a number of websites that, that at this stage, you, for 1913, because today we're talking about 1913, as a University of California, Santa Barbara, they have the best website. Um, so many cylinders and uh, discs they have to download there. Uh, archive.org. It's mm-hmm. good for that as well. I don't have any physical discs. I have a I have a record player, but I've used it two or three times <laughs> ever. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a this is all electronic, um, which is not really in the spirit of the thing, is it? But anyway, um, so this time we're going back to the year nineteen thirteen. So, what, what's your impression of the the world of the world of sound and music in the year nineteen thirteen? So, as you said, it's very difficult to come across something um, a really out of the popular music kind of area. Um, the films were silent at the time, mm-hmm. uh, so there was only live music kind of experience in the cinema, if you think about it. Mm. I would imagine there would be lots of uh, music like on the streets, uh, people playing, uh, maybe busking, or like music boxes on the streets mm. and kind of this kind of uh, mm. attitude. I recently went to uh, visit uh, one of the music box museum in the uh, city of Utrecht in Netherlands mm. and that was quite interesting experience so you would have the music boxes like that standing in a big dancing halls the size of like three by five meters something like that the size of the three-door wardrobe and people and, dancing and people dancing to wow. it so that, that, that's kind of my impression for the first kind of um, yeah first impression of it because there isn't like uh, it's difficult to find kind of recordings, bootlegs, you mm. know, live music, um, and very early kind of radios recording, I would say. Yeah, I mean, those radio kind of exists at this point, but 
uh, not in the, the sense we have now. We didn't really have speech radio for another um, six or seven mm. years after this. Yeah. And no recordings for a good 15 years. Um, yeah, I think um, music boxes are interesting. You know, I, I start this project is uh, with 1853, which is the first sound recording, really. Um, that's where I kind of cut it off. But of course, there's music boxes before that playing whole tunes, which sound mm. the same, and fairground organs, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. And a part of that, mm. you'll be uh, having chamber music, probably. Uh, yeah, that's sure. kind of the the thing which uh, survived in the notation as a, as the tradition of carrying that music to later mm. times uh, and replaying it again. So would be accurate enough to to try it. Yeah, um, we have a I think it's three thousand year old. Uh, the oldest notated music is three thousand years old. As mm-hmm. a, a hymn from the from uh, the Middle East. Oh, a, a civilization there, right? Um, But yeah, I'm not going back that far. <laughs> so that's for sure. Not, not, not tonight. No, not tonight. <laughs> Although it is interesting mm. if you if you want to type in first recorded first uh, old, oldest known music. Yeah, that you, sounds very interesting. It is on YouTube. Um, so the 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 oldest I came across was um, uh, uh, ancient Greece theater um, kind of uh, re. Uh, re- recreation of it. It didn't sound like music really. It was more like different kind of um, bells and uh, mm. bowls full of stones and this kind of stuff. It didn't sound like uh, music on its own, uh, to Who be honest. Who knows how many amazing sounds have been over the years and we just have no yeah. idea now. It's um, Yeah, but um, it's gone forever, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately. Um, um, yeah. And obviously um, um, in our European tradition, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, w- w- what else? Uh, probably places as we usually do. You know, you go mm-hmm. somewhere to the public house, and there are some people playing on a piano. Maybe some yeah. people playing fiddle in a corner, or things like that. Yeah. So uh, I think the folk tradition will be kind of coming through in different ways. Well, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I think what a lot of what we've been listening to is conservative music, mm-hmm. put like that. This, uh, the shock of the new is really missing from what we've heard. Um, there have been like, glimpses from time to time of futures which did or didn't happen. But on the whole, popular culture seems to have been happy enough to just kind of trundle on, making gradual progress. Nothing to shock the parents, really. That, mm-hmm. was, that was a deal at this point. But 1913, that's kind of the end of this era. That's the end of that uh, your parents can listen to the same music as you something is really changing now do you think is it, is it because of the first world war not yet because it's um that's that's still a year away and it's not the start of the jazz age either because that's still maybe four years away mm-hmm. um this is a, a strange thing it's the uh hot ragtime and foxtrot craze <laughs> um of 1913 1914 a proper uh moral panic um, on both sides of the Atlantic in style and in consumption mm. um, and complete opposite to the uh, image we have perhaps of a boring Edwardian society. Were there any musicals at the time yet? There's plenty of musicals. Broadway is... Uh, I mean, if you think of Gilbert and Sullivan, that's the standard of musicals that's still at this point, really. Mm. Uh, Scott Joplin wrote a musical as well um, based around ragtime, which wasn't performed until quite recently, I think. So yeah, this is this is uh, hot ragtime we're going to hear. So um, it's kind of strange. We think of ragtime as being a piano-based music, but mm-hmm. it was really uh, that was the form of it that was like, 
disseminated among people it wasn't the the form you would hear from, from day to day it's kind of a, a a repurposing of history and when you when you hear ragtime you hear bands playing ragtime mm-hmm. usually or banjos as well um but in this case it's a, a guy called uh jim reese europe and uh this is one of his own compositions it's called down home rag and let's, let's hear what he what his band sounded like and then we'll have a little talk about it Thank you. 
Okay, so that was Europe Society Orchestra with Down Home Rag. And uh, I think that's quite an unusual recording for as far as I'm concerned. I've never heard anything else quite like that. No. Is that, uh, I'm sure that's not really your expectation of what ragtime music sounds like. To be honest, I don't have expectations. I wasn't sure what was the genre. I think people, if they listen to, if they think about ragtime, they might think about, you know, uh, Scott Joplin's kind of uh, uh, piano based music, really. Whereas what we have there is uh, 30, 40 guys with uh, banjos strumming right. away like crazy. It also <laughs> sounds r- really quick. You can hear yeah. one guy playing the banjo and it sounds quick. Now the 40 of them mm. <laughs> makes even more impressive. Yeah. Well, um, it's a very interesting guy, this uh, James Reese Europe. Um, he was born in Alabama in the Reconstruction era. And uh, he moved to New York and uh, formed something called the, the Clef Club. It was a society for black musicians, which also functioned as an orchestra, the first all-black orchestra in history, hmm. and one which only played compositions by black composers. Um, so apart from the string, wind and brass instruments and a large bass drum, they had loads of mandolins, guitars, banjos and ukuleles, and they strummed them in unison to produce this kind of deafening melodic rhythm. Hmm. That was his deal. It sounds like maybe that was within a kind of a ghetto environment, but it wasn't. He mm-hmm. was uh, performing at Carnegie Hall a year before this, All right. which was kind of unheard of at the time. And uh, this was uh, a couple called Irene and Vernon Castle, and uh, they were a, a couple who they're credited with populariz- the uh, popularization of lots of different dances, including the foxtrot. All right. So you can imagine this two kind of... Uh, they look like ballroom dancers mm-hmm. on a stage performing yeah. in front of... Uh, prestigious audience with this gigantic black orchestra all playing on these different stringed instruments yeah. behind them obviously if you had a big party you needed lots of musicians you mm. didn't have amplifiers at the time so no no <laughs> i mean yeah you've got to be loud you've got to be loud big yeah. environments it's uh yeah i mean you still you go to a see an orchestra now and there's no amplification there that's the that's the deal that's the deal yeah mm. microphones are even on recordings we don't really have microphones yet <laughs> so um if you Imagine the recording studio. You've got all these guys playing into mm. a, a horn, a, a yeah. metal horn. Yeah. That's kind of halfway through a curtain. So oh, wow. they're, they're fitting as many as they can into that little room. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, that's uh, the most important music of this year, I would say. Um, let's have a listen to the same song again. It was composed by Jim Reese Europe. And uh, this is performed in a more traditional way by a single banjo player, although actually he's, he's, he has two other musicians with him. <laughs> uh, it's a guy called Fred Van Epps. Um, previously, we've uh, I think the musician maybe we've heard most on this show is a guy called Vessel Osman, who's a, a banjo virtuoso. Mm-hmm. Um, he's kind of fading away, and uh, his like, protege, copycat, is uh, Fred Van Epps. Um, and Fred Van Epps would be the famous one going forward from this stage I, mm-hmm. I don't know if we can hear um vessel osman again unfortunately um but yeah um this is this is a, a different version of the same song um but this time not with that kind of deafening thing but we're played in a slightly more traditional way <laughs> Thank you. 
Okay, that was Fred Van Epps with uh, Down Home Rag. Hmm. Um, the same, the same song we heard previously, but there not you can, as busy, not as busy, and you can actually kind of hear the tune behind yeah. it. Um, so <laughs> you can hear how well it is composed. It isn't it? Isn't yeah. uh, just a racket? It is a, a properly composed song with uh, proper kind of musical ideas there. So rag ragtime, we have that kind of a it's, it's syncopation. There's like yeah. two different rhythms working against each other. Very quick. Yeah, it's it's a very quick song. Ragtime so in doesn't a way, always need to be that quick. It makes there. sense why it was played on banjo that much because a banjo is this mm. kind of instrument where you can make it sound busy. Yeah, I think it's it's uh, we're in the middle here. Previously, banjo has been a kind of a, a solo instrument where mm -hmm. they uh, pluck out individual notes, and uh, from this point onwards, and going into like jazz as well. Um, early days of jazz you use kind of banjo as a percussive instrument just mm -hmm. kind of strumming away as a as percussion which uh yeah that's, that's why the, the banjo was the big instrument this time it was yeah. really very important the guitar not so much we'll, we'll no. hear a bit of guitar later but banjo was way ahead of guitar at this point in terms of popularity <laughs> let's have one one more bit of ragtime or the the hot band ragtime of this point um this is a uh, prince's band um prince's band is a uh, the band of a Mr. Charles A. Prince. He was the musical director for Columbia Records. Um, he had a monocle and he had a moustache, very much a kind of uh, respectable person in the recording industry. Um, but you can hear he's he's joining in with the craze and playing this hot dance ragtime music like anyone else. So uh, strange things are afoot. <laughs> Thank you. 
Okay, so that was Too Much Mustard by Prince's Band from the year 1913. You're listening to Centuries of Sound on Cambridge 105 Radio. So what did you make of that? Uh, that's that, that's been a very interesting melodic turn somewhere in there, mm. very different from the previous songs. Yeah, I think it's kind of, it was more clear. It's it kind mm-hmm. of more, more clearly cut out there. I think that's the, the kind of melody we expect with uh, ragtime music, yeah. kind of uh, Scott Joplin rags, things like that which we're kind of moving away from a bit here. The tradition that his band are coming from and that um, all of these things are coming from is the kind of American marching band mm-hmm. tradition of like John Philip Sousa, the US Marine Band, um, which seems the other side of the coin completely to ragtime music. It's like instead of being anarchic, it's really regimented, you know, military, mm-hmm. military marching music. But it's got that kind of... Um, it's got that energy and that uh, drive forward, which is part of what makes especially early jazz work, is it's having that kind of band tradition of uh, marching around, which seems kind of strange. You think of jazz as being much more kind of uh, mm-hmm. loose and not regimented, but no. it's uh, one, one of the elements that makes early jazz is like the, the antithesis of jazz, <laughs> which is a strange yeah, thing. Yeah, like, like New Orleans kind of style. Yeah, oh, well, we've got um, it's it's a few years after this still. There is there is jazz going on in New Orleans, which is frustrating. Some, something we definitely call jazz now. Okay. Um, but no one's no one's bothering to go down there and record it. Oh no! Everyone's the, the recording industry is in New York and um, and kind of a Dixieland stuff. Would that be Dick, again the band which is more for marching and those? Well, Dix, Dixieland is is um is the the early style of jazz in its first kind of 15 years or so um and it's it, there'll be kind of a, a revival of that later on they would say mm-hmm. we want to go back to the old style so that would be they call it dixieland at that point but that's yeah it's it's the same thing as as jazz really for the next uh 10 years or so um we we, we don't really know so well what jazz sounded like at this point because mm. it's, it's being made in new orleans and when did it became jazz um, it's 1917 is the first jazz 1917. Um And how do you know it's jazz? <laughs> it, it, it announces itself as jazz. All oh, right. The, the, so this is where they made up the word. Um, yeah, a, the original Dixieland jazz band are the first jazz recording artists, really. Although, right. yeah, we'll see how contentious that is a bit later. But <laughs> I think there's plenty of things which you could call jazz a bit earlier on. Would you call any of that we've heard so far jazz? Mm, I'm not sure, actually. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to say. What, hard to say, yeah, what, because what the, 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 the lines are blurred probably in the early stages of that. If you say, you know, uh, do you know any jazz musicians who are playing banjo? I would say probably not. <laughs> When <laughs> at the time when you uh, hear when yeah. you hear the change into into jazz in nineteen seventeen it's it's re- it's really noticeable it's something something's going on there so right. there, it, something different yeah it's kind of the improvisation right. I'd say is the main thing it's it's and not real improvisation just kind of the appearance that they're and just going off on here we still have the situation when they might be marching and they <laughs> yeah everything is <laughs> very a, well organized still at this point yeah, yeah. A, okay. a lot of songs around the start of jazz talk about how wild and crazy it is and unpredictable this at the beginning there's a lot more songs about jazz than actual jazz songs mm-hmm. <laughs> for the first year or so um it just yeah, just tells you something about the music industry at that point, really, rather than anything else. <laughs> yeah. um, let's uh, hear something that's not music, even. This is, uh, mm-hmm. although he does do a bit of singing, 
This is a guy called Murray K. Hill. We've we've heard from him a couple of times already. He's a uh, vaudeville comic. His his real name was uh, Joseph Tunnicliffe Pope Jr. And um, it's uh, just to give an idea of what else people would would enjoy as entertainment at this point. Mm-hmm. The kind of comedy that was popular. And um, we'll we'll see if it makes you laugh. Well, uh, how are the gentlemen of the orchestra this evening? Fine, listen to this. That's all right. (laughs) Say, don't do that, don't do that. You make me nervous. I have eight home already. I'm going to try and sing you a little song, a little thing entitled, When the Sun Sows His Wild Oats, It's Time for the Father to Thrash. My sweetheart is a florist, and when his lovey tells from roses and geraniums, he hands me lots of smells. I cannot love that livery man. For money I care not, for a greenhouse has a fragrance that his stable it ain't got. You know, I always feel better after singing that song, and I certainly do feel happy this evening. I just received this dispatch that my brother will not die. He will not die. It's from Ohio. Well, read it. Your brother will not die next Friday. The governor... Uh-huh, I see. Now, who is to blame for all of this? Well, who is to blame? Why, the trust. Let me draw you a picture. Come with me to the slums of this great city. Get in an elevator and climb 14 flights of rickety stairs. Entering that basement next to the roof, what do you behold? Seated around an oil stove are 14 small children. 14? 14 small children, the oldest scarcely two years old, all crying for pie. Why? Well, why? Why the high cost of living? Everything is going up. I suppose now my brother will be gone. I meant to say that since they put a tariff on lumber, board is getting higher. I know that meals are coming up. You can't keep a 15-cent dinner down. And now they have an undertaking trust. Is that so? Why, funerals are getting so high, the poor man can't even afford to die. Of course, it wasn't going to cost my brother nothing to die. I meant to say that seated around an oil stove are 14 small children. 14? These children should have lots of money. Their father was a rich porter in a bank. Yes? And he died and left lots of money. Is that so? In the bank. They shot him while he was trying to get it out. Oh, I see. And yet we wonder at crime. I was reading this morning's paper where two burglars broke into John D. Rockefeller's home the other night. They were very lucky burglars. Lucky burglars? I should say so. They got out without losing anything. So I said to the other burglar... What? Seated around an oil stove are 14 small children. When Hart, there's a knock at the door, and the landlord enters and tells him he's going to raise the rent. That's very kind of the landlord. Why? Why, because they can't raise it themselves, which brings us down to the law of compensation. Now, maybe you don't know what I'm talking about. No, I don't. Neither do I, so I'll explain. The law of compensation is if you lose one part of your anatomy, the other part is going to become stronger. For instance, if you have two strong eyes, you lose one eye, the one eye will be as strong as the two eyes were before you lost the one, and you'll take just as big an eye open in the morning. Or if your back is bent in the front of your back, the front of your back will be straighter than the back of your back. Or if you have one short leg, the other leg is bound to be longer. Well? Well, seated around an oil stove with these 14 small children. 14? 14 small children. There they've sat for the past 30 years. 30 years? No. Say, what am I going to do with these kids anyhow? I think I'll sing another song and kill them off. 
Okay, some uh, comedy there from Mr. Murray Cahill. Entertaining piece. Entertaining. Uh, yeah. Were you laughing out loud? <laughs> a little bit. Uh, I, I'm not a loud laugher, I think. Okay. Uh, <laughs> try, to, try, try to catch up with the accent and the different kind of English they talk. <laughs> oh, yeah, a, quite, yeah. Quite interesting. Different words. It was rapid, I mean, rapid fire humour. F- for me as a foreigner, it's like, oh, I need to catch up with that. Yeah. And then, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, the f- funny bit, um, poor man uh, cannot afford to die, yeah? <laughs> and everything is going up. Yeah, there's a, there's a, like, a, uh, a joke a joke about his his brother's going to be executed going yeah. on through it, which you kind of it's hard to work out <laughs> what the joke <laughs> is sometimes. But yeah, so it goes. Um, all right, let's let's go on a world tour. We're going to go to a few different places around the world. Um, first of all, well, this is kind of New York, but it's representing uh, Eastern European um, Ashkenazi Jewish music. Mm-hmm. Is, is the deal this is uh one of the earliest klezmer recordings um uh, what what can you tell us about klezmer are you familiar with the genre of klezmer? a little bit yes um very often they use the two instruments i really like uh first is clarinet mm-hmm. which is i think one of the best ever instruments um for listening uh, for playing, I'm not sure about. I tried once; it didn't go very well. Um, and mandolin, mm. actually, you can find some some uh, old fiddle. So there are different the different versions there. Mm. Um, one of my favorite klezmer musicians, contemporary, is Gyura Feidman, and he's more like jazz klezmer. So mm. when we, when when I think about klezmer, it already feels more like jazz. Yeah, well, there's a, it's an interesting thing because there is klezmer going through to the modern day and hasn't necessarily changed that much. There's been some jazz influences. Of yeah, course. there are different yeah. influences in different kind of um, infusions, I'd yeah. say. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's a music I like mm. definitely. The tradition goes on uh, through recorded music out the other end. So um, let, let's let's hear one of the earliest klezmer recordings. Then this is uh, Abe Ellen Craig's Yiddish Orchestra. Thank you. 
On Cambridge 105 Radio. Okay, that was uh, Abe Ellen Craig's Yiddish Orchestra with uh, Fon de Chup. I think I've pronounced that correctly, but it's quite likely I haven't. Um, so how does that compare to the klezmer music you're more used to? Then? Well, it's a bit different. Although um, this uh, song sounds familiar, the, mm. the, the melody of it. And uh, I think that's one of the uh, things about ethnography of the music, of the folklore, because mm-hmm. Yiddish, uh, the klezmer, uh, is is a kind of a folklore, if you mm. think about it. Yeah. Um, it's very much attached to the ethnic group who 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 was playing it. So uh, it sounds like um, the ver- very often the patterns repeat and they spread in the geographical uh, kind mm. of um, proximity. So if you have the Greek music, for instance, uh, you will mm. find very similar um, uh, tunes in Turkey, even yeah, though they are not true. really the same kind of uh, thing. So it sounds like mm. I, I think there was Italian tune which used uh, the the same melody in all fragments of it. So mm. it's quite interesting. Yeah, I like it. The uh, the music I find um, sm- uh, closest to classical music, I'd say, is the kind of uh, uh, Balkan gypsy brass band music. Mm-hmm. I think quite often I can't I can't tell the difference so much. All right, but yeah, yeah. going into Greece like uh, Rambetica, it's it, it's like really hear something there as well. Yeah, but especially especially that kind well, of uh, gypsy brass band music. This particular one sounds uh, to me a bit with uh, Italian touch. Yeah. to be honest, okay. for some reason I don't know why. Um, when I think about Balkan music, I think about uh, Goran Bregovic okay. and this kind of very heavy brass. Mm. Uh, I would say. Um, very um, um, very quick as well. Okay. Well, let's hear something else from uh, Central Eastern Europe. I'm not, not sure exactly <laughs> where to pinpoint him because it's a strange character. It's a guy called George Vintelescu and uh, it's, he's a Romanian conductor mm-hmm. um, and uh, he was uh, resident in Berlin in this period before the First World War and uh, he, he introduced... Uh, all this kind of uh, two-step, cakewalk, tango, ragtime music. He was the guy bringing all that over from America to uh, to Europe. But at the same time, he was uh, leading this kind of uh, Romanian orchestra to play it in Berlin. So oh, wow. uh, quite, quite a combination of different things there. Um, yeah. Let's see if we can tell the difference between uh, his version and the uh, the original American version we heard earlier. Thank you. 
All right, so that was George Vintelescu with Chatterbox Rag, and I think that just sounds like the hot dance ragtime music we've heard previously. Yeah. I can't really hear much difference there. No. I, I, I feel like there is a bit more distinction between the different sections of the instruments. Yeah. Maybe it's the the way they recorded as well. I feel it doesn't sound so busy. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think it's just more kind of a traditional okay. recording. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's still a little old-fashioned by this point, perhaps. Maybe that's, yeah. well, that's what's going on there. And maybe this syncopating rhythm is not as mm. much emphasized? Yeah, I mean, that's uh, the, the, the kind of a crazy kind of wall of sound stuff. is uh, that, that's, that's Jim Europe's... The New York, okay, that's only, specific yeah. to him. Yeah, that's yeah. it. That's his thing only, and he's yeah, he's going to be important in the development of jazz in a few years' time. Um, very important um, in Europe as well. He'll mm. come. Uh, Jim Reese will come to Europe and uh, with the Americans in the yeah. First World War and play all around France and the UK. All right. Um, let's go to South America. This is a guy we've played a couple of times. It's a uh, um, Agustin Barrios. He's called. Uh, he's a uh, a uh, guitar player and as I said guitar is not the main instrument at this point mm-hmm. it is classical guitar um, but he's he's kind of you could say he's the guy that brought the guitar into the mainstream he's a very important recording artist with the guitar um, and this is Ares uh, uh, Andalusias I think heir of the Andalusian mm-hmm. place or something like that w- will it sound a little bit more like flamenco then you think? I don't think it sounds that flamenco-y. It sounds classical to me, I would describe it. But you can All judge right. for yourself. <laughs> Thank you. 
So lots to lots to comment on there. So Agustin Barrios with Ares Andaluces, that uh, Paraguayan virtuoso classical guitarist. What kind of thing would you think that is? Is, is it connected to flamenco? Yeah, I, I mean, you can hear a few notes here and there, the same as um, you would in Taregas sometimes, mm. or Albenitz, I, I would say. So the guys who are playing a bit earlier on in Spain, yeah? Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, but, but yeah, you're right, it's totally classical. I think there's a, you can kind of hear the, yeah. the mood of yeah. uh, the tango. Yeah, absolutely. Well. I agree with that. And uh, yeah, with flamenco, you would have different rhythms as well going on there, mm-hmm. um, very specific to the regions probably as well. And this one is, yeah, very nice, very nice. Yeah. Uh, guitar at the time, yeah, was not a very popular instrument and very difficult to play, mm-hmm. I, I think. Oh, uh, we've got jazz guitarists coming in in the um, late 20s, early 30s, yeah. going to transform that. Um but yeah, classical guitar yeah. is where it's at for now. I don't remember when did that happen, but I think there, there was a technical issue in terms of playing guitar and um, resonating the sound uh, in terms of using nylon strings. I, I don't remember when oh, okay. did that happen. Uh, and the metal strings, when they started being yeah. used on the guitar. So that, that that was kind of the thing I remember from the history of music a bit. Well, as we've got, these are all um, uh, acoustic recordings. So this is the, the vibrations are directly making the needle move into mm. the, into the wax here um so it's that distorts things and it it cuts out high and low frequencies so it stops yeah that there are lots of instruments which don't record mm-hmm. that well in that yeah. kind of medium and that will change when we get to the mid-20s when we get electronic recording microphones yeah. finally right <laughs> and things become a lot more listenable <laughs> So, um, yeah, so uh, another thought I had, uh, I mentioned uh, Albanitz and uh, Tarega. Uh, um, It sounded like uh, definitely Tarega was the one who promoted the the classical guitar in his homeland in Spain, in that context, I think. Mm. Um, And that sounded like maybe that's been... Um, uh, somehow inherited in here. Yeah. Um, in the way, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I think it's possible. Yeah. Um, I'm. Yeah. If anyone wants to wants to tell me all about the works of uh, Mr. <laughs> Barrios, he's an amazing guitar player. I'd say definitely. Yeah, sounds really good. Let's let's come very close to home. Well, but the UK. This is uh, a song from Scotland uh, by a, not Mister Sir Harry Lauder. Um, so Harry Lauder, we we have heard from him before. Um, are you familiar with the works of Sir Harry Lauder? <laughs> I'm afraid not. not. That's okay. Um, he's he's not that famous these days, but he was a huge star at this point. He was described by Winston Churchill as Scotland's greatest ever ambassador. Mm-hmm. And by 1911, so two years before this, he'd become the highest paid performer in the world. And he was the first British wow. artist to sell a million records. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Big deal. Big deal, yeah. Yeah. Um, he uh, w- went all in on the Scottishness, as you will hear now. Mm-hmm. Um, and he performed in the full Highland regalia, kilt, sporran, tamashanta, mm-hmm. uh, twisted walking stick, and uh, always sung Scottish themed songs. This one's called She's the Last for Me. <laughs> It was on a bonny summer day, the sun was shining clear. I went away on a holiday and I met a dear wee dear. She looked so neat, a perfect treat, her eyes were full of bliss. 
And ever since I kissed her face, I'm always singing this. <laughs> she's the last for me. She's the last for me. I've never seen another face that could ever take her place. She has locked my heart and stolen away the key. She is, yes, she is. She's the last for me. <laughs> Our age is only 21 on the 6th of next July. I'd like to buy her something nice, but I don't know what to buy. I'd like to buy her a tartan tie and a bonny wee tartan box. For she's been kind to me, she's knitted me 20 pairs of socks. <laughs> I think the best uh, present I could give her would be myself. <laughs> Because ever since I met her, I can neither eat, sleep, nor work. I never was a very big eater anyway. Because three eggs and three rolls and three cups of tea and a plate of porridge was all I could ever take for my breakfast any morning. And I was always a light sleeper. Because if the cat happened to be chasing the mouse through the night and across my face I was up in a minute, Ah, <laughs> oh, but wait till I show you this. <laughs> wait till I show you what I've got in my purse here. Of course, you can't see it, you know, but you can imagine that you can see it. <laughs> I've, uh, I've got something in here, I'm telling you, that I know perfectly well that when still my... No, I've lost it. <laughs> I'd have threatened a bit of a hole in it. <laughs> uh, but speaking about work, well, that's a disease that I never had. I really believe, you know, speaking about diseases, I really believe, you know, that uh, love is a disease. And I wonder if you take it twice. <laughs> if I had to go through this again, I'd go to Canada. <laughs> because, mind, I'm telling you, <laughs> I believe that every young fella here the next have got the love disease just the very same as what I've got it. Only, it hasn't broken out on you yet. But I'll tell you this. And this is that. You'll easily know when you've got the disease. I mean the love disease, do you see? You'll easily know because whenever you see your lass coming down the street or going up the street or crossing the street or well, it doesn't matter, wherever you see her, the very first thing you do is start and sing into yourself. She's the last for me. She's the last for me. I've never seen another face that could ever take her place. She has locked my heart and stolen away the key. She is, yes, she is. I can hear everyone you for singing it there. <laughs> She's the last for me. I've never seen another face that could ever take her place. She has locked my heart and stolen away the key. She is. Yes, she is. She's the life for me. Lie dum, die dum, diddly dum, die dum. Oh right, so that was uh, Sir Harry Lauder with "She's the Last for Me." A Very taste entertaining. Of yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's an entertaining I man. I love his rolling R. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how much he's putting it on for the recording, or whether that's his. I'm sure that's how he really talked. That's his, <laughs> that's his whole deal, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. It, he sounds like he was a personality. That's for sure. Mm. Uh, I think I, I, I would like to hear from some Scottish people. Uh, what, what's, what do you think? What, what's your opinion of Sir Harry Lauder these days? Is he uh, perpetuating a stereotype? 
I mean, he's not perpetuating it now, is he? So, yeah, long, long in the grave. But um, how does it bear up now? Is it something that sounds embarrassing or something that sounds nostalgic from this point? T- talking about uh, marginalised groups such as the Scottish, this is uh, Bert Williams. Um, Bert Williams is a very important person in the history of recorded music, I would say. Um, he's the first black performer to really own the world of recorded music and and hugely popular performer at this time. Um, and in, in a time when we... You know, I spent a lot of time editing down the selections of music here, and there's still huge amount of uh, racist and blackface music going on, okay. <laughs> even at this point, really. Hmm. Um, and he's he's presenting this kind of more genuine experience as a as a person who's yeah the real life kind of sufferings of life. I'd say, not not in in a humorous way as well, in mm-hmm. a way that kind of expresses his uh, uh, humor and the way he can look in the world like that. This is Bert Williams with Borrow From Me. I met a manager here on the street yesterday. Said I've got a great part for you to play and I'm so sure you can get up in it right away. I want you to just listen and see now how sweet this sounds. I'm going to take out in a day or so. Uncle Tom's cabin. You know, it's a marvelous show. My cast is most complete, you know, but I thought I'd like to have you to play the Bleed Hound. I said, well, bring me the Czar Brushes. Just have him come on over here. Black enough to play Uncle Tom's part. Mark the lawyer, I expect we better have Mr. Othello. Provided, that is, we can find a brother that doesn't come too dark. We have the Statue of Liberty to play Miss Eber, and Rip Man Winkle play in the Greek. Now, you can bring me for the cast, them folks I've asked you to bring, <laughs> or for the Bleed Hound part for me. that they might need a man who did like to have limbs. Five or ten seems like they but test my generosity. I've loaned my coin out day by day to different brothers who took oaths they paid. But these few words I want to say for fear that any present wants to touch me. If you bring me the stone that David slew the liar with, and from the apple Adam ate, just bring me the corn. Bring me a leaf from the very same tree that the dove carried that branch back to Brother Noah. Bring me that lion that let Daniel live, and the whale that swallowed Jonah in the sea. Now, he can bring me everything that I'm asking him to bring. No more than he can just bar from me. Bring me the stone that David slew the lyre with, and from the apple Adam ate, 
bring me the cold, bring me a leaf from the very same tree that the dove had a brand back to blow the nose. Bring me that line that let down your little down the way that swallowed Jonah in the sea. Bring me everything that I'm asking him to bring an old boy and he can borrow from me. This is Centuries of Sound on Cambridge 105 Radio, and that was Mr. Burt Williams with Borrow From Me from the year 1913. Hmm. So uh, what do you make of Mr. Williams? Wow, very. Um, um, we, we were talking about radio before, mm-hmm. and uh, since spoken radio only came later, it sounds like something like predecessor of it, because he was like talking a lot, uh, he was telling mm. a story, and then the music was really the background for the story. It's that kind of vaudeville performance. Yeah. And that's how they kind of got used to it, or kind of musical, we call it in the Yeah, UK. very nice voice, very nice calm voice. Yeah, you can hear him kind of talking yeah. to you personally. And then the it goes into the kind of melodic stage as well. Yeah, yeah. He does kind of speaking and singing. Kind yeah. Of goes between it's a two. nice mix. It's, it sounds like the uh, entertaining performance, mm. yeah. Now let's see the, the other side of... Uh, of this, which is a, another performer, um, Bert Williams is uh, past past his uh, peak at this point, really. Um, but this is a, a new performer who's who's coming up um, called Al Jolson. You may have heard of Al Jolson. Al, Al Jolson uh, later on he would find huge amounts of fame as the star of the first talkie. Um, he's a, a unique performer on the stage um, and the one thing that you would find out about him straight away really is that he's a, a white blackface performer so he would put burnt cork on his face and do an imitation of a, uh, a black man singing which is obviously very racist it is the, also the, the standard of the last 50 to 100 years in America um, so it's a difficult thing to get rid of entirely and uh, elements of uh, minstrelsy is what we mm. call it elements of that will continue right up into the jazz age as well um, and you know the jazz singer it's called but he's basically doing a, a minstrel show performance mm-hmm. at that point still um, so uh, there's a lot there's a lot against him in that sense <laughs> there's a lot against him in that sense um, but he's a he's a unique performer who uh, he's one of the most memorable voices of all time as well, so. So I wonder. Um, yeah, you said it was a standard kind of way or, 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 of uh, acting at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. W- would the people? I wonder whether people who would be listening to it or watching it would be different kind of people, or would it be geographically spread, uh, as you said, America mainly rather than Britain? So. I mean, for the majority of people buying records at this point, they are rich white people. Right in uh, yeah, the uh, coastal areas of the USA, that's that's who buys records at this point, really. Um, but it, so it, it's not going to be an, an uh, as they would say a race record. Mm-hmm. Those those don't really exist at this point because they don't think there's a market to sell that. Mm-hmm. So they're they're really thinking of themselves and people like them. That is the record company executives in New York when they record anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know you can go from one side to the other. There's the, the some of them is kind of horrific racial caricatures, and 
to the other end, which I'd say is I'd say Al Jolson's right at the other end is uh, sympathetic character portrayals in their songs, and he, he's he's got such a strong personality that kind of shines through. He's he's not he's not a New Yorker. He's from Eastern Europe originally, mm-hmm. and so he's uh, modern day Russia. Um, re- emigrated as a as a small child. But it's, it's got such a kind of distinctive voice and distinctive sound that it kind of overwhelms all of that baggage mm-hmm. behind it. Um, although the, the theme of the song is um, a specific kind of African-American one. It's uh, about Pullman porters. Um, Pullman porters, they were men hired to work on the railroads as porters on sleeping cars. Mm-hmm. There's a guy called George Pullman. He, he sought out uh, former slaves after the American Civil War. And uh, formed this kind of, he's called the Pullman Company, and uh, they were the porters on American railways. It's one of those, mm-hmm. profe- it's one of the few professional careers that a, an African American man could do. Um, and later on, in uh, 1925, there was uh, the first all black union was the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters. So it's an important cultural thing mm. um, in America. Uh, I'm, I, I, don't, I don't think he really. Uh, gets all that down in this song that's for sure <laughs> but it's it's an interesting uh, uh moment in history to hear anyway it's uh so it's al jolson with the uh, pullman porters parade Collector, 
that was Al Jolson with Pullman Porter's Parade. Which is a distinctive voice, I think. Mm. Doesn't doesn't sound like he's doing an impression of uh, of anyone at all. Just just himself, really. <laughs> uh, he's got a very interesting voice, as you mentioned. It's uh, theatrical. Yeah, there is, there, there is a certain amount of expression in there. Um, mm. Like feels like a bit like musical, yeah. Some yeah, kind of a thing. It's uh, and, uh, with this melody also very very distinctive. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, unique. I'd say. Unique, yeah, and. Uh, maybe from all the songs we heard so far to me sounds the more similar to jazz i would say yeah i i mean he would be maybe he, he would make that film the jazz singer later on i, I don't know how much it sounds like jazz I, yeah what is what is jazz we'll we'll discuss yeah, well. that later on <laughs> that's for sure there were a few notes here and there which were like a bit different i mm-hmm. don't know so should we hear the biggest recording artist of the year the the biggest recording artist Biggest recording artist of this so age. So Bill wasn't, oh, um, because he was very famous. Yeah, no. they were all famous. I mean, like Al Jolson's famous, Burt Williams famous, or Harry Lord is famous. These these guys are all big deals at this point. However, there's there's one star who one is uh, bigger than anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, let, let's. Uh, oh, I'll surprise you. <laughs> let's just have a listen. This is this is uh, if you were going out and buying a. A, a record because we do records at this point rather than wax cylinders um, if, you, if you're going out and buying that at this point this is like the number one bestseller of 1913 
So, do you know who that was? Hmm. <laughs> Sounds a bit Italian-like. Yeah, he's it? Italian. It's yeah. En- Enrico Caruso. Oh, so. right. Opera was a big deal at this yeah, point. Yeah, was it? Mm. Yeah, very, um, very atmospheric, and the intro is like, like film music. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a very, very atmospheric. Thing. So, so that was a, uh, yeah. So uh, th- th- that's the question I wanted to ask you mm. about when people were buying record at the time. How would they know? What they are really buying and how how the the process would look like. Do we know anything about that? Would there be like places where you can listen to the records? Yeah, for sure. Well, or they had to, would they, you hear it yeah. in a pub or in the other place you walk into? Not not so not much, really. but they, they have listening parlors at record shops. So like uh, they look like stethoscopes. They put right. on. Yeah, they you can listen in. That, that's how music would be consumed originally, yeah. rather than being played. Yeah, because nowadays mm. we just hear it everywhere. You switch on the radio. Someone, mm. I mean, nowadays, um, well, we listen on the headphones all the time. Yeah, so it's, it's <laughs> similar. This is car. kind of being consumed like that. Um, yeah. um, this one, yeah, you notice the higher production values. This is a diamond disc. This is called. Oh, right. Um, this is uh, Thomas Edison. He, um, uh, yeah, they, they, he, he liked cylinders. That was his deal. He was mm-hmm. making cylinders. He didn't want anything to do with discs. But then people persuaded him, finally, discs are where it's at. Mm -hmm. So then he made these things called diamond discs. Now, um, cylinders and discs work differently. Um, You've got your needle um, on a a record, if you can think about that groove. Mm -hmm. The needle's moving from side to side and making this kind of track. Right. Uh, With a cylinder, it doesn't move from side to side. It moves up and down. Mm. Um, And Edison didn't feel like changing that. He mm-hmm. thought that was the best way to do it. So he made these discs, which, uh, because the needle was going up and down, the discs needed to be very thick indeed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, if you've got a pound coin, it's two pound coins on top of each other. That's, oh, how, wow. that's how thick Heavy. these discs were. I've got a picture here. Right. You can have a look. <laughs> <laughs> so if you search for Edison Diamond, if you search for Edison Diamond Disc, you can see what these look like. It's huge things. But yeah, they could get. get uh, a little bit more music on, and the production values could be much higher. Um, was able to actually see one of these up close before, and uh, right. it's quite an amazing thing. <laughs> it could only be played on that particular machine. Oh well, um, yeah. But these are these are worth quite a bit these days, and uh, yeah, they're the only disc disc records that Edison ever made, really. Right. <laughs> um, and expensive, of course, very expensive. So is there anything else from the year uh, 1913 that we should speak about? Oh, what do you think? Like the, 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 the things to mention. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, I did obviously didn't know that much about it. Um, but there were a few things I kind of uh, thought preparing for the show okay. um, as a historical events, which are kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, would you like to hear any of those? Yeah, please go ahead. Swedish engineer... Uh, Mr. Sundback of Hoboken patented (laughs) all-purpose zipper, something we cannot imagine life without nowadays. So this is when he did it. In life without zips. Life yeah. without zips, how would you do it? Buttons. Yeah, well, yeah. I guess so. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, there was the first woman parachuting from the airplane. And uh, she was okay? Yeah, she was okay. okay. Uh, Tiny Broadwick, that was her name. Mm-hmm. And also, um, on that year, uh, the world's uh, official highest record of temperature 
It's oh. been recorded. Okay. Uh, and hasn't been beaten until today. Today? But, yeah. This, uh, this day? So, yeah, it oh. was uh, 134 degrees on Fahrenheit wow. and 56.7 degrees of Celsius. Now, there are some people who think that that could have been because of the faulty thermometer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It does sound like it. I can't believe it was really Yeah, that it's hard. unbelievable. Wow. So, and uh, one, one very important thing for Britain, I think everybody would be proud of, um, invention of stainless steel. Mm. by Harry Brerley in okay. Sheffield. Oh, of course, Sheffield yeah. Steel. Yeah, Sheffield Steel. big deal for yeah. the next 50 years. Or so. And there is a very interesting uh, story which I know a bit more of because I work in cultural heritage. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Mona Lisa uh, has been recovered after two years. Oh, it was stolen, Louvre. wasn't yes, it? Yes, it was stolen two years before and that was the... Um, it appeared um, uh, two years after in Italy... Uh, brought by a crazy Italian uh, porter who used to l- work in Louvre. But the story is more complicated than that, okay. but it's quite long. <laughs> Basically, it was about making the forgeries and selling the forgeries mm-hmm. um, to the rich people who probably, um, yeah, at the time, in different countries. Mm-hmm. And um, after those two years, they did plan to return the Mona Lisa anyway because they knew they don't want to sell the original. How would you sell it? Uh, yeah, how would you sell it? So they only sell, sold the forgeries to uh-huh. people who thought it's original and now those forgeries are really valuable. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> not as valuable as having the actual Mona Lisa though. But no, yeah. but yeah. yeah. Still still yeah. not bad. They, Interesting. They got some, some of their money back or their descendants did anyway. <laughs> and uh, uh-huh. the last uh, which I mentioned was the Igor Stravinsky and uh, uh-huh. um, his ballet score uh, The Rite of Spring was uh, um, premiered in Paris and provoked uh, riots. People did not believe that actually someone can play this kind of music. It was too modern for the time. Wow. And uh, they booed it and they some of them walked off the theatres. Uh, one um, critic uh, uh, who um, uh, oh, admitted that he came back for the second showing to so the only two shows and then the show was banned Wow! for some time so yeah it was a bit controversial I guess these guys never heard uh, Jim Reese Europe Society Orchestra no. yeah <laughs> they would have right. become crazy wow <laughs> okay well um, let's let's have one more song before we uh, before we wrap up this is uh, Toots Packers Hawaiians uh, Toots Packer was uh, a woman who was uh, she was an instrumentalist uh, leading a, a all-female hula band and uh, they had a Broadway show which was uh, introducing Americans to Hawaii and Hawaiian culture and Hawaiian music in the early 1900s so this is called uh, Pulupe it's by Toots Packers Hawaiians Yeah. 
You've been listening to Centuries of Sound on Cambridge 105 Radio. I've been James Errington. And Maciek Pawlikowski. And uh, if you'd like to find out more about Centuries of Sound, um, I have a website. It's centuriesofsound.com. I've got mixes of every year up to 1922 currently and uh, aiming to take it all the way through to the present day. Got ones for 2016 to 2018 up there as well, if you're interested in those. If you want to get in touch, I'm on all the usual um, social media places, or you can email me at james at centuriesofsound.com. And uh, where, where can we hear from you? He says. Oh, mm, f- at Cambridge 105 Radio, every Sunday, 5 o'clock. So, yeah, if you want to get in touch and you have some Polish connections, would you like to share it or you want to um, tell us about Polish events around uh, for Polish community or about Polish community, it's polishwaves at cambridge105.co.uk. Uh, okay, great. Um, so what what did you make then of the year 1913? 1913, very, very wide range. I think much more than I could have expected, to be honest. Uh, not just the music boxes. No, no. <laughs> Certainly. Although, interesting you say music boxes, because we have something that's... Um, it's it's like the music box plus plus, we can call it. <laughs> it's uh, a piano roll. We're going to finish with a piano right, roll. Yeah. So the, the audio will be clearer than for anything else we've heard. And... Uh, I, I don't think we can usually include piano rolls. It's a bit of a cheat. I Is guess. it? Uh, yeah. I don't know. It's not really recorded music as such. Um, but in this case, I, I, I can't help but include it because it's uh, it's amazing. Um, this is uh, Mr. Claude Debussy uh, recorded right. a piano roll of his yeah. own of his own music. So we can actually hear Debussy playing his playing his own piano. Oh wow! Yeah, and that's this, pretty good. This is uh, Le Vent dans la Plaine. Do you speak French? I um, don't speak French, really. No, not really. <laughs> but yeah, let, let's, yeah, let's let's play out with uh, Claude Debussy uh, playing one of his own uh, one of his own tunes. <laughs> and then, uh, thank you very much. Thank and, you very much for having me. Yeah. Good night. Good night. Thank you for listening to this Centuries of Sound podcast. If you want to hear these a year earlier and help the show survive, please consider supporting Centuries of Sound at Patreon. That's patreon.com slash centuriesofsound. For just $5 or local equivalent per month, you can have access to all of my mixes and radio shows.